The purple plume was clearly visible, even in the midday sun. Asher had been following it like a guiding star as he crossed the plains of Numeria. And he guides his horse Mayim through the gates as he's finally arrived and heads to the stable. He exchanges a few pleasantries with the stable master, asks about his lodging options, and opts to give the Evercandle a try. With his eyes transfixed on the torch, Asher stumbles his way towards the inn a bit before finally tearing his gaze away. He wipes the dust and mud off his boots, scraping the bottom along the front edge of the wooden planks, and enters the inn. Hello, stranger. If you're looking for lodging, we do have a room available. But keep things quiet and keep things tidy, or it's off to the boarding house with you. Asher tips his hat respectfully and smiles. Well met, ma'am. Indeed, I am looking for lodging here. And I can assure you, I can and will abide by those reasonable terms. I am grateful for the hospitality. I am called Asher Halich. Mm-hmm. Well, we shall see, Asher. The two agree upon the standard rate, and Asher goes up to his room. It's simple, but clean, and Asher observes everything's place and condition, so as to be sure to return things the way they were when he leaves. Not that he's in any hurry to leave. He only just got here. Finally got here. He places his backpack on the bed, and arranges his smelting equipment on the desk for later. There's no time for crafting now. There's so much to see and to learn. He follows the sound of hammers and anvils to the forge. Asher's eyes are wide with wonder as he politely observes the working of metals unlike any he'd ever seen. Metals that fell from the stars. As the sun sets, the purple light of the torch seems even brighter. Asher makes his way to the foundry. Not the foundry or the foundry, but the foundry. He sits at a table by a window looking at the torch. He thinks about how different the stars look here compared to his home in Geb's Rest. All the way across the world on the continent of Karund. He's lost in thought when a man clears his throat to get his attention. Asher sees who he assumes must be an employee and greets him. Ah, hello there. Well met, sir. You have quite the establishment here. I am called Asher Halich. If it isn't apparent, I have only just arrived in town today. There's something special about this place, and I can't quite put my finger on it. There's more to torch than just the torch, I suppose you could say. I've traveled a long way from home, and been through many, many places, he chuckles to himself. I've been through burning buildings, nearly drowned in the inner sea, encountered bandits in the river kingdoms. I find myself in two fistfuls of trouble, more often than not, but I've made it here. It's all been worth it. How lucky am I? I'm sure you're busy, so... I won't keep you here, but perhaps we can talk more another time. He offers a friendly wave as he returns to gazing out the window. A smile crosses his face as he shakes his head, marveling at the journey he's been on just to make it to this town. Tomorrow he'll set out to explore the area, see what he can scavenge, and soak in every bit of his surroundings. But that's tomorrow. For tonight there's nowhere in the world Asher would rather be then right here in Torch, watching the bright purple plume burn against the night sky. Yes, Asher says to himself. How lucky am I? This is Pot Against the Machine. Pot Against the Machine
Welcome back to Pot Against the Machine, the only Pathfinder actual play that's contractually obligated to kill every character before book three ends. I'm your host, and here's everybody. We did meet like with legal, plan. and that is true. Is it? Yeah. Always we, read your contracts before you sign them, kids. Yeah, none of us read our contracts. <laughs> that's what it was, yeah. I read mine. <laughs> well, sorry that that's the first you're hearing of it, Izzy, but... Yeah, I, I skimmed it. <laughs> We're also obligated to take all of the tears that we generate during this episode and put them into a jar and send them to Sam for some reason. It's on the fourth page. I've, I've got a shelf for it. <laughs> uh, so previously on the program, the party, after finding a potentially workable air-to-surface vehicle sort of thing, like a little escape pod in the ruins of the Dusklight, decided they needed to find a way to actually get it out from being stuck in a ship under a river. So they went down the maintenance hatch to the deck below where they found the crew of the Dusklight, or what was left of them, which was a series of the irradiated dead zombies that could, of course, spew radiation. Now, due to some issues with the shape of the room uh, Asher wound up running into the room by himself before the hallway got clogged up and uh, he was surrounded by three of these zombies while the rest of the party tried to fight their way in unfortunately um, it didn't go great for him as he went down to unconsciousness and still the party couldn't get to him through the choke point no eventually uh, Asher breathed his last. The party finished off the zombies and retrieved their friend. Forgot about the ship under the river, brought him out, got on Long Dreamer, and, and went back to Torch with their deceased friend, who had just recently um, specifically mentioned if he died, he didn't want to be brought back. So the party went to City Hall and they told Dolga what was happening and asked if he could be buried at um, the former home of Garmin Ulrith, which has set, sat empty since Garmin's disappearance from town. And um, she was quick to agree, after which each member of the party went their separate ways. And um, that's where we are now. So I think um, with everyone in separate spots here we're gonna take these one at a time go through just what everybody's doing uh with the rest of the evening here uh so first uh Jero, where uh has alowin gone uh i think alowin who is uh still kind of upset by this whole thing more than he expected to be like surprisingly so uh, is going to go to the Phrasma uh, Church and I think he's going with the thought in mind just he's going to see if Radley has uh, diamond dust because he's just trying to take his mind off things. He's thinking to the future like, okay, I'm going to need this in a few days for me and a few more days for Brixby. Let me go get that and that's where he's heading. He's going to see if uh, Father Radley is in. And it, it's late enough in the day at this point that um, the church is pretty dark, but there's a few torches going. Um, and Radley is by him himself in the main uh, the main room of the Chapel of the Wanderer, where he's sort of busying himself in in the back or rearranging some things from the day's services and Alowin will come in he still looks awful like he's still got kind of like the weird like cracked glazed skin from his one negative level that he still has and he also has like frost burns all over him from when he destroyed the uh, symbol of Caldera with this thing because he didn't bother to heal himself after that like he didn't really care to uh, so I imagine he comes in just looking not great and says 
Excuse me, Father Adley. Yes, um, what can I do for you? Alloin, was it? Yes, it was. Um, well... And he's going to kind of walk up and he sits down in the first pew and just kind of stares up at the priest and he says, I was going to ask you for something, but now that I think about it, I think with the way, the strange way you all barter, we have to sell some things first, so maybe I won't ask you that, but I have another question. You, you worship the last, the survivor, he kind of thinks for a second, Lady of Graves, you call her. Indeed, uh, Phrasma goes by many names, and, and those are a couple of them. He is supposed to, supposed to take the dead, or at least judge the dead, from what you believe, correct? Yes, for for Asma, uh, awaits in the boneyard as the never-ending procession of the dead uh, slowly make their way to her for a judgment and, and to be sent along to their uh, final eternal destinations. And that is that happens to all of everyone that dies. Every single soul must be judged, indeed. Hmm. I just wonder... I don't know if you know, in fact, I don't know how you would, but when we were, we investigated this place, this tower, there was an evil wizard there, but he was dead. It's, it's a long story, but at one point I died, at least everyone said I died. I, They brought me back with resurrection magic, and he holds up his arm with all the cracks on it. I was able to restore some of the damage that was done, but I haven't been able to fix it all yet. But when I was not alive, I saw no boneyard. No, none of these afterlifes that any of you talked about. I simply went back to being one with everything. Oh. That is very strange indeed. Uh, perhaps your soul was bound to this place for some reason beyond you or me, and, and uh, these things do happen. There are uh, ghosts and spirits and, and haunts of, of various types, and there are there are always people who remain after their death but this is a this is a temporary state uh, eventually all must go to the lady of graves a temporary state in in this state from others that you've talked to or heard about could any of them could they see whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Something like seeing beings like fey, nobility, demon lords, things that your kind don't consider gods, but that are more just as powerful, sometimes more so. Can they see things like seeing the the Aslanti, the one you call Eridan, performing his miracle and seeing that it looked like something anyone could do if they were as strong as he was. Can they see creatures that are truly atheist recording books on the gods that are more like field guides than anything else? Now, um, I, I am an old man, but... I must say, you are only the second person that I've ever spoken to, at least that I know of, that has come back from from beyond. So, if you'll, you'll have to forgive me if my knowledge of this realm is some speculation, and, and 
to some extent incomplete, but it is said that this plane of existence where the physical world is, is, is merely one of many existences. And the boneyard is, is one, and there are many in between. There are there are planes of existence where time itself is instead of something that progresses linearly, it's instead something that you can walk through as you would walk across this room. Now perhaps I claim no expertise on your particular experience, but perhaps something offered you a glimpse into one of these modes of existence that are completely foreign to uh, the way we live here, the way we perceive life and time, and I'm afraid I, I cannot offer you a satisfactory answer on this. And you see it looks like he's kind of getting more and more upset as he's listening to the father and says back after that, that's one explanation. Another could be that none of it is true. These things that have convinced you all that they're gods. Maybe you only go to their realms, these other realms, because you believe you will. Just like, and he's getting, his voice really isn't changing, but he's just getting, you can tell he's getting more and more agitated. Just like they can convince you that powers you have are theirs to give and to take away if you don't act exactly like they think you should. Why, and he just kind of hangs his head, why do you revere these things? Why do you worship them? They're not gods, they're monsters. I know, as as far as I'm concerned, I have prayed to the same Grey Lady for more than 60 years. Every morning when I wake, every night before I go to sleep, and depending on the day, multiple times throughout, most of my prayers have gone unanswered, but some of them have been answered in both palpable ways and ways that are much more subtle. Of course, she has faithfully granted me a, a modicum of magic as a follower of hers, and I use that magic to take care of this place, take care of the people in this town. I do not think that only gods can do these things, but I think the willingness to act as a shepherd for the countless lives in this world and all the worlds beyond, that is, that is not a, a monstrous thing in, in my understanding. And if you used your power, the power that comes from Phrasma, in a way that helped people, that protected them, but was also a way that Phrasma didn't like, and she took that power from you, you would think that was fair? I do not pretend that I will ever know better than a being whose life is older than the stars themselves, whose mind extends to places I can only imagine, who can see things that I daren't ever imagine. I think I would be angry, I, I would be bitter, and I, I would question, but it is not sometimes for we mortals to know. Night lived where I lived before I came here and met my friends Brixby and Kira and and Asher we had gods we worshipped and we had enemies of those gods beings that we disliked and there were some that were personally dangerous to us 
was before my time, but the Islanti was one of them then. After that, there was the Dawnflower, and there was the Gold Mask, and there are many others, but one, even though it never had much interaction with us, that was hated above all the rest was the one we called the Survivor, Phrasma, because our teachings from our gods was that Phrasma was meant to die a very, very long time ago. Everything was meant to end, and Phrasma fled, and then created something new, and more new things formed there, and it eventually led to all of this, and this imperfect, horrible world where someone can show up and claim their god owns your land and you need to submit or die, or a man can protect his friends and his god can tell him he can no longer use her power, and it can kill him. And I left the colony once everyone else was gone because one of my mothers said that I should form my own opinions on whether our way was right or whether the way of the people outside is right. And I started leaning towards believing maybe your way was right, but now I think that was wrong. I think that what we were taught in the colony is right, that none of this should exist. This world is corrupt, and these things you worship are the cause of it. And I don't mean any disrespect to you and what you do, but I just... And he just kind of hangs his head and is silent. And Radley's face has, like, very obviously darkened at um, the mention of these things that I'm sure are not entirely foreign to him as um, a longtime priest of Phrasma, but are definitely outlandish. And um, he takes a second after... Halloween uh, finishes speaking and he'll just sort of reach up and sort of hesitantly like reach to, to put a hand on, on Halloween's shoulder um, and if, if he doesn't see any sort of negative reaction before doing it he'll, he'll just sort of give him a, a gentle squeeze on the, on the shoulder and say it's alright to be angry my child it, it's all right to rage against the gods themselves if if you need to they've heard worse i've just felt like this before i've seen people hurt and even killed for many reasons i just i don't i don't know if you know what happened but asher he he was sort of like our our leader almost, I think you could say. He was such a good person. The best person I've met since I left the colony. Maybe the best person I've met since my mother. And he's he's dead. And he's dead because because he couldn't protect us. He tried and he couldn't because he lost his abilities from his god, and it killed him. I didn't know. I, I am deeply and, and earnestly sorry that um, a man like him is no longer in this world. I cannot answer for his god, and I, I cannot answer for cruel turns of fate. I understand. I was maybe hoping to hear some kind of answer, but you said maybe there isn't one. Or maybe we have to find our own. 
is it okay if I come back later? Maybe tomorrow. I I don't know how how people here deal with death rites. I don't know how long how long this will take, but when we have and he gets kind of confused again for a second. When we have money, uh, is it okay if I come back and get diamond diamond dust from you? Um, yeah, so we can we can sort that out um, when the time comes. I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll be able to figure something out. And I think he's just gonna kind of hang his head again and just sit there for a little while longer, probably. And eventually, I think if uh, I imagine the father probably gives him his space, I think maybe after a few more minutes, he'll get up and head back outside and just start kind of wandering around waiting for nightfall. And uh, Radley will just do the sort of hand signal of the, the spiral um, as Alwyn walks away and will end that scene. Um, so, Izzy, um, I believe you mentioned that Kira was going to go home. Yep, Kira's headed home. And, um, on the way, does she pass anyone, like, as she's walking from wherever her friends were to her house? Um, I imagine there are, like, a few people still out. It's not super late by any means. Okay. Well, she accidentally runs into one of those people. She's just, she has um, chainsaw and let's say great sword across her back um, and is holding in her hands the knife, the dagger that she got from Parda's parents and just staring at it and turning it over and over in her hands um, and doesn't notice this person and walks into them a little bit. Um, I, <laughs> I think uh, she sends this unfortunate person sprawling um, just by um, sheer momentum. <laughs> Second tallest. Uh, so I think um, she knocks this person over, almost steps past them, turns around, is like, watch where you're going. And then sort of has a moment of like, oh, what was that? And then, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I wasn't watching where I was going. Are you, are you okay? And she'll bend down to help them up. And um, it's um, probably a, a guy that she's seen around town plenty of times before, but not, not really anybody she knows personally. Um, and he'll sort of hesitantly take the, the hand up and say, uh, sorry, I, I just was, was looking way past you. I, I, I guess I, sorry, um, I didn't mean, to. it's fine. Uh, don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, sure, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, are, are, you, are you worried? I'm not worried, this is fine, it's fine. Go have a good night, bye. Um, yeah, you, and we'll, like, you too. And we'll, like, turn and um, continue on toward the house. He'll stand there confusedly watching as she goes before resuming his path in the other direction. Um, so she starts heading back to the house, and as she's going, she's getting slower and slower and slower. Just like there's this sense of reluctance. She doesn't want to actually get home, even though she was excited about it, or at least felt like she had to do it a few minutes ago. Um, now that she's on her own, she's a little more hesitant. And so by the time she reaches the door, just like lifts a hand to knock and then just stands there. Um, probably for a few minutes, unless someone happens to see her and come out. I think there are lights on in the house well probably not on on but you know like burning lanterns or something um and there's like the sound of activity it sounds like maybe um they're cleaning up after dinner and there's just like a little bit of muffled talking through the door uh, I, I don't think anybody um noticed kira's approach and nobody sort of knew she was coming so they're not on exactly on the lookout I think she's going to take the chainsaw off her back and put it in her lap and then just kind of sit down with her back against the door. And I, the player, will hope that someone comes to the door before the end of the night because I don't know that she would immediately get up. Um, I think it it takes a little longer than is comfortable. And <laughs> I, I think Kira probably 
will get the sense that it's not going to happen after a little while. That it just seems like nobody's going to do it. And then... Um, She's like half asleep by the time anyone comes to the door. Yeah, it's been like a while and there's just been like a quiet night and there's fewer and fewer lights on in the house. But then the, the door opens rather suddenly and um, there's Caden standing there and he like starts when he opens the door and, and there's somebody there and he just sort of can see the top of her of Kira's head and he just says uh, uh, Kira? And she does that thing where she tries not to fall backwards as the door opens um, and then redoubles her grip on the chainsaw and turns around again almost aggressively like like she's ready to fight even though she's sitting on the ground um, and then sees it's her dad and says, oh hi dad hey dad hi dad i'm home to visit and um how are you uh, i'm fine what what are you doing out here in the the cold wouldn't you um rather come inside i he'll like hold a hand out to help you up she'll start to reach for his hand and then stop and then still sitting on the ground dad is is mom around um yeah she she's just inside do you you want me to get her yeah i think maybe before i maybe before i come inside i should talk to mom oh okay um it'll be just a moment and like he's definitely getting a things aren't right vibe um so he'll kind of nervously uh go off into the other room and then um you can hear his muffled voice and and Willow's muffled voice, um, and then the door opens and the shadow moves across the room and um, Willow's footsteps come up behind Kira and she's standing like inside the the doorway a few feet in, so you can sort of look. She can look at you without being right on top of Kira. Yeah, and Kira's facing away, um, the chainsaw just clutched against her chest and her head down all over here in her face. It's very, very moody teen of her. Um, but we'll hear Willow come up and turn around. Hi. Hi, Mom. I, I'm i sorry, I shouldn't be here. And then we'll, like, start to walk away. That, that, it's, that's never true, darling. And, and she'll rush forward, like... Um, closing the distance pretty quickly and come right out of the house after Kira and say, what, what's wrong? And Kira just starts crying. Just Everything? I I can't be here. I'm sorry. I, I'm not who I thought I was. I thought that I could keep my friends safe and you guys safe and, and, and be a hero and adventure like you, but mom, I can't. Everyone Everyone that I know, Mom. Asher is... Asher has gone. He's... He's really gone, and he's not coming back. And... And he was only the most recent one, Mom. And she'll hold out the dagger, um, that part his parents gave her, and it's like, I don't... I don't think that I should have this anymore. Can you... Can you take it? And um, she's like gotten, you know, right, right in front of her daughter and she's looking up at her and she puts a hand on the dagger without actually taking it away. Just like, so they're both touching it at the same time. And she'll say, I'm so sorry. I, it's the hardest thing in the world to, to lose someone, especially when, when you've formed a bond like, like you did with with Asher, with with Parda. And I know that your reaction is always going to be to blame yourself, but I, I don't know how it happened. I wasn't there for you, but I, I know you, and I know that you did everything that you could. We can't control everything. And we can't protect everyone all the time. The best we can do is our best, Kira. And and I know that you do yours. 
Um, and almost before she's done talking, Kira is shaking her head and like just scrubs at her face, wipes away some tears, still crying. Um, no, no, mom, you don't understand. I was so, mom, I was so mean to him the last time we talked. I was, I was, I was so mad. I, I barely even remember what we were talking about anymore, but he, he tried to do something for us. He's always doing things for us, mom. And, and I got mad at him and I shouldn't have. And, and, and the last thing I said, mom, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't watch any more friends die. I don't, I don't, I don't know how. I don't know how, mom, please. I just, I want to be done now. You, you don't have to go back out there. You don't owe anyone anything, Kira. You already are a hero. What you've done for this town, what you've done for Numeria, it, it's more than enough, and it's more than anyone could have asked of you. You're far too young to have, have lost a dear friend like Asher, let alone more than one. Mom, if I stay... If I stay here, I don't know if you'll be safe either. I I thought I was strong enough to protect them, to protect all of them. Alowen and Brixby and Asher and, and and Parda. But I don't I don't think I'm strong enough, Mom, and I don't know how to get stronger. To some extent I don't know that there's such thing as, as strong enough. This world can be a dark and cruel place. Sometimes it, it's willing to take everything you can give and more. And Kira finally takes like a deep breath and just one of those um, kind of breaths and wipes her face with an arm. Um, it's like, can I, can I stay here tonight? Is that okay? I don't, I don't think that I should be around my friends right now. It's always okay, Kira. You can, you can stay here whenever you want to. Thanks, Mom. Um, and we'll give her a sort of a tentative hug. Uh, and then as she steps back, looks at the dagger that's still in her hand again. Like, I don't, I don't think I can give this back to Parda's parents. Can I leave it here with you? Uh, I can hold it for you until you're ready to carry it again. Kira nods. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, thanks, Mom. I love, I love you. And she'll give you a hug back that is not tentative at all. It's much, <laughs> much harder. And um, I think after a little bit of, of bone crunching, <laughs> she says, uh, this, this world is not a fair place, and you'd know that better than, than most people twice your age. Come on, let's let's get you inside. Let's, let's fill you up with something, and then you can get some rest. And Kira just nods, having forfeited her Sky Metal feet, Sky Metal Smith feet, uh, that adds a plus two to some will saves. Uh, she's just not feeling worthy of that right now. So, Sam, don't use that against me, please. Thank you. I will absolutely never ask you to make a will save again. Yeah, that's for the rest fair. of this episode, probably. <laughs> Um, so I think she'll she'll lead Kira back inside to um, have whatever beet-based concoction um, they <laughs> served for dinner. Um, um, that brings us to to Brixby, who um, I believe was was staying with Asher after uh, bringing him over to the the former Garmin's house. The first part of Brixby's day. Um, looks a little bit like Aaron's. Uh, he's moving around the town. You see him talking to Dolga, to Connor, to Long Dreamer. You see him gathering flowers and incense. Then, later, when night comes, you see him putting the body of his friend on a lovingly constructed pile of flowers 
and young branches and soft mosses. And then he leaves and he goes to, well, he follows the clucking first and he goes to Charlie's. He goes to the chicken pen outside and unsurprisingly, he finds Alan there squatting looking at the chickens yeah he's just kind of sitting morosely up against the fence kind of staring into the chickens Brixby just kind of walks from behind and puts his paw on Alwyn's shoulder and looks down says come we're gonna get Kira okay and then um as they're walking um Brixby doesn't really talk he's just looking down and when they get to Kira's house, uh, he knocks on the door. And, um, I think once again, it's Caden who answers the door as Willow's otherwise occupied. Um, and he, you know, has a somber expression on his face because by now he knows. And um, he says, hello. Um, Caden. And uh, the esteemed lightning face. It's good to see you both. Could I speak to Kira, please? Um, if you, yeah, if you just want to wait in the the front room, I'll I'll see if she's able to come out, and he'll he'll rush off to to find her. And I think when Kira comes out to the living room, she is like full sprint, chainsaw out. Like what? What happened? What happened? <laughs> Charge action on Brixby. He's gone. <laughs> Chainsaw out, but also wrapped in a blanket. Rip. <laughs> hey. Um. I. I think we, the three of us, and a few others, should gather this evening. If, if you feel that you're up to it, I'd really like to have you there. For. Yeah, of course, of course, I'll come. Um, and starts to walk toward the door and then is, thinks about it for a second. Is like, I I have to get something. And will disappear for a little bit and return with the dead friend blanket. Dead friend blanket. Because it's time. It's time to retire the DFB. Yeah, okay, let's, um, let's go. So, Rixby leads them back to the house. Um, and when we're there we see uh, both Connor and Dolka, as well as Long Dreamer. And in the yard that was overgrown, uh, pretty much today, in between all of his errands, he tried his best to prune back any growth that wasn't flowers. So it kind of looks a little riotous and overgrown, but it also kind of has like a cloistered, cozy feeling the sort of makeshift garden that is in the backyard of Garmin's house. And Rixby looks at Alwyn for a moment and says, Forgive me, but we all live our way. And he pulls out a scroll and some pieces. And he casts Greater Make Whole on Asher's religious icon. And he holds it in front of Asher and then he kneels <sighs> loud enough for anyone to hear if they want to but enough for folks to disregard if they want to pay their respects in a different way he says pardon me I've never actually done this <laughs> prayed that is but I myself recently stood in the grey lady's queue and I must entreat you, you'll hear me on behalf of my friend, our friend, Asher Halick. Our friend Asher never abided in injustice visited upon an innocent soul, nor an injury to another's freedom. He protected the weak, his charges, and all danger, and begins to cry. Perhaps what I fear the most, his friends from themselves. He never abandoned another in need. Companion or no, he never missed an opportunity to seize this thread 
divine luck that spirals from you. Oh, the calamitous turn. Chaldira Zuzaristan. He was as bold as he was brave and as charitable as he was endlessly curious and as irreplaceable and beautiful as a falling star. And I fear that in this immeasurable void left in his passing, I feel a resonating echo, catastrophic consequence for this cursed country and perhaps this entire world. The way before us has always been perilous and fraught. Tonight, tonight it gets darker still. But for him, for all of them, for us, we have to face this dark and expect the inevitable dawn. Only because we saw our first glimpses of that perfect coming light in him. Asher Halik, he died as he lived in a gesture of love and service and sacrifice. And I swear to him and to you and the stars and the sphere herself that it will not be in vain. While I'll never be as strong or as wise or as good as he is, I will, I will continue his fight. And I know, it's not my place, a new devotee of Desna, to be asking you this. But I plead when this man approaches the shuttered windows of the half-grown house, and that warm mixture of firelight and laughter is leaking out the edges, that he finds an open door. Thank you. And Brixby fishes in his pocket and he pulls out a button. The button. And then he puts it on Asher's body. And then he gets real close. And my friend, I know when you get inside, your seat will always be by the fire. But you will never eat or drink alone. And everything you touch, dice, cards will be dripping with luck. You'll want for nothing. Someday, my friend, I have a feeling we'll see each other sooner or later. And then he picks the button back up. And he turns to Long Dreamer. He carried this button. I don't know much about it, but I caught him looking at it at the end of his watch some nights, flickering flames of the dying fire, and my conversations with him about his good, you about ours, gleaned that this is a symbol that's very important to his faith. Can you, my friend, carry this with you in your travels up there? Amongst the stars, and his body will rest here, in this soil, in this land that his deeds made free. But his heart, his light, belongs up there, it is as bright as any other. You know what, maybe someday you'll find yourself in Axis, and you'll see that uniquely raucous and sprawling amalgamation of inns and burrows. Maybe you'll find him, and you can give it to him. He'll be right by the fire. <sighs> Bricks turns to Connor and Dolka. Tomorrow, the people of Torch will gather here to remember him, and then we will bury him fully. And after, he turns to the Azers. I'd like you, along with Connor, to make a statue of him here. This will be a place where people of Torch, Numeria, come to pray for Luk. This will be a shrine to Chaldira Zuzaristan. Star-crossed lovers will come here, begging to catch the eye of their desire. The lost will come here seeking another chance, and the redeemed will make their pilgrimage here, myself included, one day to show gratitude to a man 
and much more his immeasurable devotion to the betterment that accompanies a dawning of a day that he nor we may never see break. This will be a place of hope, and this is the hope that saves Numeria. I think, um, Long Dreamer in her hand approximation appendages will take the button when when Brixby offered it to her, and at, at this point, her glowing wings are the primary source of light um, on the ground, and of course up above there's the flickering purple of the torch. Um, and she'll sort of tuck it away into her fur in the, the silent acknowledgement that she'll carry it. Um, and I think by now, like, there there's a few more people have come around since um, you gathered them. The, like, Connor came and Val has come running um, and she, she's brought, like, a, a group of others. Um, as the town is sort of <laughs> gathering up in this backyard that um, not too long ago belonged to a, a, essentially a, a gangster, but it sat empty for quite some time now and um Dolgo clap Rixby on the shoulder and she say uh, thank you for that thank all of you for all that you've done for this town for for all of us I won't pretend to be a speech maker bride knows no one needs to hear me natter on but uh, I do wish to honor the life of a of a great man, of a good man, a decent man. He was not born here, and he was only here for a short while, but still he agreed to risk his life time and again for our well-being when we most needed a hero. And I think the thing that I will remember most about Asher Halick is the day when the very capable four emerged from under the hill, when we and and you saw the torch burning again, the sheer joy on that man's face. He threw his hat up in the air. I think that's the only time I ever saw Asher's hair. Um, I'm told that he had mentioned that he might, when all his adventures were through, have wanted to settle in our little town. I'm sorry that it had to happen this way, and I'm sorry that it had to happen so soon, but one way or another, Torch is a better place with Asher in it. And she opens her mouth like she's going to say more, but uh, her face has gone all red, and her lips have gone pale, and you know, af after a moment, uh, she like seems to kind of decide against it, and just just like gives a, a nod and and steps away and um by now I think there's there's more and more people here and you start getting people piping up from from the crowd you get like old social Musgrave who um recounts Asher helping her up when she fell um and Kira's family members pipe up and and remind them the town of when he danced at, at dinner and um when toby of course will hold up lightning face um the, the random urchin will pipe up and say that asher told him one time that he was well met um oscar and Tarrett, the smelt runner uh, will specifically mention that um he never specifically annoyed annoyed her and if you know Oscar, that's pretty much the best endorsement that she can give a person. Um, Dinvaya will talk about Asher helping save her life. Jorm will talk about Asher bringing Dinvaya back to him. And the Azers, of course, will tell a brief version of the story of the very capable four helping save them, drag them out of the tower bring them to a new home. Um, Seth will 
specifically. Yeah, that's right. Seth popped up. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they got word to her so fast, but she will mention that Asher sucked. He was the suckiest sucker of all. <laughs> um, I think as, as the sort of momentum of this is starting to die down, um, Connor, who's been pretty quiet, um, he's he's standing right by Asher's body, and he's been looking down at him. And he, he speaks softly. He says, As a town, we've gathered together for occasions like this far too many times these last few months, to be certain. But today, we, we mourn a man whose bravery, whose noble works, gave us the chance to mourn it all. It is thanks to his willingness to plunge headlong into danger on behalf of people he hardly even knew, in many cases people he'd never even met, that this town, many of those in it, still live. A mysterious stranger who rushed into danger with a gun or five on his hip, not a twinkle in his eye, and a little bit of luck. Certainly, I am lucky to have met the man. Without his help, I would not be standing here today. Many of you can say the same. And I was trapped beneath the mountain, subject to, well, I'll spare you the details, but the results are plain enough to see. Asher's face was the first one I saw when I was freed. As I lay on the floor, master of neither my mind nor my body, unable to even form words, Asher Halick knelt down in front of me, offered me a helping hand. He, he called me sir. He pauses for a second, half laughing to himself. Um, and he wipes the back of his hand across his eyes. He was good. He was strong. He wouldn't, for instance, steal anyone's bed. This was a man who didn't know us anything, and yet he gave us everything time and again. Even when the very capable four emerged from under the hill, when the job was done and the torch was lit and the town was saved, he never stopped protecting us. As we celebrated, he warned us of the dangers of the Technic League, turning their eye on Torch, a warning that proved prescient. He brought back the possessions of those who'd fallen under the Black Hill, personal effects and holy symbols, and turned them over to the Council to be returned to their next of kin. And, to be quite frank, he trusted me when I gave him every reason to doubt. I owe more than my life to Asher Halick. It is a debt that can never be paid, but knowing him, he never would have accepted payment anyways. What more can I say? He, along with these noble souls, and one who could not be here today, volunteered to travel hundreds of miles to protect this town from the threat of Hellion, by all reports a, a demon or a god, with an army at his back. They came back victorious. They saved us again. But Asher and these three heroes, their work was not done. If Mayanda's words are to be believed, they protect not just Torch now, but all of Numeria, if not the entire world. They drew the eye of the Technic League away from here at great personal risk, as they searched for a way to solve an impossible problem. Asher was a man who trusted his luck, and that luck helped him save innumerable people. It may have run out. He, he looks at the body, and he lets out a long, shuddering breath. But it was never wasted. He lived to protect us. He died to protect us. We can only strive to do good. To prove worthy of that sacrifice. Thank you. And as Connor turns and, and walks away from, from the body... Um, going slowly on his three robotic legs so that they don't make too much noise. Um, Val rushes over from his side up to uh, the pile that Asher's been laid on, out on, and she's carrying this strange, lumpy, little burlap doll. It, it looks homemade, maybe the size of a loaf of bread with stubby little arms and legs that have been tied off. It's got a single piece of black string for a mouth and two wooden buttons for eyes. And she puts this little button fellow down on Asher's chest, kind of tucked in the crook of his arm. And then she walks away. I'm going to go ahead and just, as she does that, um, 
take out the dead friend blanket and just almost like it's like a tucking action just like tucking asher in for the last time um and just before kira turns away will reach into her bag and take out a sticker that just says tallest and that's it uh so I'm guessing after a while, after everybody leaves, as it because it is getting dark, I think uh, Alowin will like try to unobtrusively kind of stay in the area until everybody else is gone, and he will then walk to uh, go back to the grave. Like I'm assuming. It's probably a couple hours before, like, everybody has, fi- has filed away. Uh, walks back and he just kind of looks down and he says, What Brixby did was very good. He honored you in the way that I guess all of these people here do. And I hope it's okay if I can do something similar. I know a lot of the people here don't like what we do. It's why we always stayed to ourselves. But uh, he's going to kneel down in front of the grave and he just says, Brought warm by the primal clay. Breathed life by the sultan and now embalmed by the black pharaoh buried in the soil of the forest mother and locked beyond the key and the gate we commend your remains back to the universe and he draws in the uh, soil a symbol that looks similar to the phrasma symbol but kind of more wild and it's the same symbol that's on the front of his book and he's just quiet for a little bit longer and then he gets up and he starts heading back towards I'm assuming the foundry to rest for the night and I I think as we come to a, a close on the funeral of Asher Halick um, in the gentle glow of Long Dreamer's wings as more and more people retire. You all feel a, a warm wind blow for just a moment and everybody levels up to level 11. But um, we'll talk about that next week So I'm going to bed. Good night, Sam. Good night, Sam. Good night, Sam. Good night, Sam. Good night, Asher. Good night, Asher. Night, Asher. Good night, Asher. Property of Network Against the Machine LLC, all rights reserved. Pathfinder and the Iron Gods Adventure Path are property of Paizo Publishing. See their website for more details. Theme Against the Machine was written and performed by your own Zach. See the show notes for additional music and sound licensing. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to leave us a review. You were doing the face thing on purpose, right? Peace. Okay, I was going to say. Now recording! (laughs) Give me flashbacks of uh, 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 Izzy uh, screaming urine over. Hey! (laughs) Adventurers, take me with you! Let's kill the Technic League! Oh my god, I'd be so down for Iago to show up. Yeah, I can't really do a good one, but you know. Oh well.
just crank up the volume on whatever you're doing. That's just we oops, need all peaks. to contact yeah. Battle Zoo and have them make a one e version of that uh, April Fool's Day one they did, and we can just get like actual Isekied Gilbert Gottfried as a character. <laughs> that one build a real world person. Oh, he would be a bard. All sonic damage all oh. the time. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. What is it? Uh, like the one that shoots the yeah. shards, song of the shards, the song something paint, word something singer word yeah something <laughs> word spitter, singer yeah Sid, no it's song song slapper probably the song slapper <laughs> the song <laughs> slapper but I do know they do the the whole like song of chords or whatever that thing is yeah yeah and, yeah chord of shards song. chord of shards that's the one yes um there's all song songs. of storms you're thinking of the song of storms from legend of zelda the wind Waker. no you're thinking of storm of swords <laughs> the game of thrones novel sound striker i was really close <laughs> sound the striker sound slapper <laughs> well uh i think i remember this because really early <laughs> jesus gang what do we do for 20 minutes <laughs> i feel like a toothpaste um, tube with nothing in it right now i am just <laughs> 